we could go to Exodus chapter 20, and verse 20, because this is our time for 2020 vision, right? This is a time for God's glory to get poured out in your life. This is a time for a brand new start. This is a time we've been reminiscing around here about some of the great things that have happened over the years and uh, stirring ourselves up because the best is yet to be. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to do what? Amen. But in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 20, it says, Moses said unto all the people, Fear not. Fear not. For God has come to prove you that his fear may be before your faces, that you sin not. And of course, we looked at this word for fear, and we found out that it's the same in both verses, but when there's only 8,000 letters, 8,000 words in the language, sometimes it has a different meaning based on where it's located in the verse. And so we realize, because you look at this, that you cannot have a relationship with somebody that you're afraid of. So we, and then we looked at that and found out that it meant honor and respect. And, and I think on Sunday we were looking in Matthew chapter 11, 28 and 29, where he says, come unto me when you're weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And then he goes on and says, I'm meek and lowly and humble. And so when you look at the word meek, it means teachable certainly, but it also means to be in the middle between two extremes. And, and so I was thinking about that because have you ever been... Uh, have you ever been scared? I mean, have you ever been really, really scared since you've been saved? Maybe, even? Because a couple of weeks ago, I was really scared. And, and it was because I was reading the book of Exodus. Not that the book is scary, but when you put yourself in the place of the people. I was crossing the Red Sea with three million other people. And I was grateful that Pharaoh was behind me, but I was really nervous because of the water. I mean, in my mind, as far up as I could see, there was water on that side and water on this side, and I could feel myself getting anxious. <laughs> and I know, like I saw... Miracles back in Egypt, I mean, I saw them. I never met Moses personally. Matter of fact, I've only seen him once in a big crowd from a distance. And I know that he's leading me, but I don't have any faith in him. And so maybe my faith is in what I heard about God. And, and so I'm putting my trust in him. But even in the middle of putting my trust in him, there's a mountain of water. And when I looked at it, I thought, this is the way your Christian life is, isn't it? Like you're believing God for a miracle when there's trouble all around. And the trouble is real. You're looking at it, you can see it, and it's real. And what you're basing your life on is something that you can't see. You can't see Moses. You can't see Jesus. You can't see God. But somebody gave you the word, let's go to the other side. And away you go. And, and so we get this idea that faith is just so bold and so confident. But I didn't feel like that when I was crossing the Red Sea. I was thinking, whoa, oh, 
I hope that water stays up there. And I found myself walking faster in my mind. I'm going faster. <laughs> yeah, do I run through the valley of the shadow of death? <laughs> and then I looked at that from my whole life perspective, serving God. And it's always been like that. Always been like that. You believe in God for something that you can't see. And when you're looking at what you can see and what you can see, you know, it is real. What you can see is real. The pain you can feel in your body, it's real. The financial situation, it's real. But you've got to base your life on the book. And so that's why he would say in Proverbs 1 and verse 7, he said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And of course, what he meant by that is the reverential respect for God, knowing the you got to know the love of God, right? I mean, you really need to know the love of God. And how do you get to know the love of God if you don't know him? And so really our goal in life is to get to know, like Paul the Apostle said, to apprehend the one that apprehended me. <laughs> to know him. The Apostle Paul said that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. He understood that we're looking at two extremes. And in order to be meek, in order to be teachable, you have to live there in the middle of it. And you don't have the answers. You, don't ha- you, don't, you, don't, you can't ask the why and get, a re- and get a response. Because there is no response to faith. I mean, you can ask a question why, but you're not going to get an answer. Well, maybe sometimes you'll find it in the Word of God, but other times it's like, trust me. But I don't understand this. This is contrary to everything that I thought. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Sometimes, sometimes it is. But over in Proverbs chapter, I think it's chapter 10. Is it chapter 10? No, how about chapter 8? Verse 13, he said, the fear of the Lord is to hate pride, arrogancy, and the evil way, and the forward most do I hate. So some of those things might be happening in your life. (laughs) No, sometimes your life is extreme. Sometimes there's something that you know on the inside and something different is happening on the outside. But really, you know, in 9.10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In other words, honor and respect. Honor and respect that is felt and displayed. That's, that's really what, what this fear of the Lord is. It's honor and respect. And, and we, we do our best to live his word not because... We're going to earn his love. And again, you can't be intimate with somebody that you're afraid of. And you can't, you can't earn his love. You can't make him love you anymore. Romans 5 says that makes that really clear. You've been justified by faith and you've got right standing with God your Father through your Lord Jesus Christ. And while you were yet a sinner, verse 8 says, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And now much more, not because you're living better, not because you're going to church, much more that you've been justified by his blood. 
His love is overwhelming. His love doesn't even make any sense. His love is outlandish. His love is like, are you kidding me, God? You love that person? I'm not talking about somebody here or somebody on the planet. I mean, some of the people that he used in the Bible will make you shake your head. I mean, again, I was looking at David and, 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 and his life and, and how honorable he was. But I also know that he, you know, slept with Bathsheba. And then because he couldn't pass the buck off on the, on the husband for her pregnancy, he had, he had Uriah the Hittite killed. And even when you read about it, after that, it doesn't name her Bathsheba. It says, and Uriah the Hittite's wife. And like, to, to, no, no, to make it more, to make you realize even more that God, I mean, through that, they lost the child, I know. But Solomon came out of that relationship. King Solomon, the wealthiest man that ever lived, came out of an adulterous relationship that, that God fixed. And then you get to Acts 13, 22, and it says, and David, a man after God's own heart. And you're saying, no, no, but it's important because, because when Jesus was talking to the disciples, he said, you need to forgive a guy 70 times a day. And they said, Lord, increase our faith. Because they realized it couldn't. But, but you, like, we don't, we don't, I don't think our mind can comprehend who God is and the love that he has for humans and the forgiveness that's, you know, the Bible says his grace abounds toward you. That's somebody running toward you with such love. And you need, and you need to know that because religion has stolen it away from the church so that the church has been become dysfunctional because they can't do anything based on my character. Because I still have issues. You have issues? Is it tissue for your issue? No, no. How many of you still have things that you're dealing with on the inside that you'd rather not talk about with anybody, right? Yeah, God knows. And God has a plan. And you're not going to mess it up. It might get sideways sometimes, but you're not going to mess it up. Anyway... Let's go to Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20, because we looked there. It was 2020 vision over there also. And the end of verse 20, I like to point it out. And they rose up early. They didn't sleep in late. And it's really important to rise up early and get, get with God before you start your day. Amen. They rose up early in the morning, Second Chronicles 20, 20. And went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And they went forth with Jehoshaphat, and he stood up and said, Hear, O Judah, and you inhabitants of, inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe. Emunah, it's where you get the word amen. It means so be it, I believe. Get up, you have a part to play. What am I going to believe? I'm going to believe that God loves me. I'm going to believe that God's not mad at me. I better know that now because I haven't seen him, but he's telling me to go out first and play my trumpet. There's an enemy army, a huge army coming, and I'm going out there with a musical instrument for a weapon. I better know something. I better believe and be established. They're not going to die on the side of the road. Right? And then he says, 
believe the prophet and you will prosper. I think it's in Corinthians 14.3. Somebody could read Corinthians 14.3. Grab a microphone and read that. Somebody, anybody, anybody. I don't want to go there myself. No, this is participation. Go ahead, James. Heather. Aha. Come on up here and use the microphone, please, because the live streamers aren't getting it. not break this on Caleb. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. How far do you want me to go? That's oh, that's it. good. But what, read it again, please. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Edification, exhortation, and, and comfort. It's yes. mm. a good deal. That's not like some of the prophecies I've had in church over the years. <laughs> But it's good. So that's what prophecy, prophecy should always, uh, it, it can have correction in it, but it'll never have condemnation in it. You know, it, it'll bring correction, instruction, it'll adjust your set, but don't ever, ever receive condemnation from a pulpit, from your book, from the Bible. It's not there. A religion made it up, or you can take things out of context and twist it around, but it's not there. It's not there. Even when you read through the Old Testament and see some of the things that, you know, how God hardened Pharaoh's heart and all that. And, but when you read in the Hebrew, you find out that eventually God gave him over to a hardened heart. But it certainly wasn't like that in the beginning. He made a choice. He had ample opportunity to get himself straightened out, right? So, so yeah, so... Prophecy. Sometimes even, sometimes even your enemies can prophesy over you. No, and, and I have a good example in Exodus chapter 2. Now back in Exodus chapter 2, they were killing babies. Abortion was happening big time. Before every big move of the Spirit of God, abortion seems to be on the calendar. And they went to the man of the house of Levi, and he took a wife of the daughter of Levi. So these were Levite priests. And the woman conceived and had a son. When she saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him for three months. Back then they were, throwing, they were, they, they were, they were getting rid of the men. They, they, you know, the Pharaoh made a commandment, kill all the men, we'll keep the women. And, um, and so it says here that, that, you know, that they saw, Jacobed saw that, you know, he was a proper child. But when you read, again, you mean if he, if he was ugly, they'd have thrown him away? <laughs> he was goodly, he was handsome? No, no, there's more to it than they recognized the call of God on his life. And so they put him in an ark, pitched it up, and sailed him down a river full of alligators. How would you like that to be the start to your life? You know, your mom's going to ditch you in the river and sail you down into the enemy camp surrounded by crocodiles in the bulrushes, right? So it's not a good way to start out. So he's in with the gators. It says she could no longer hide him. She took him in an ark of bulrushes and dubbed it with slime and pitch and put the child in it and sent it through the bulrushes down through the river. And his sister, Miriam, older sister, said she stood afar off in the King James, it says, to wit, 
what would be done with him. But what it says in the Hebrew is that she was there to guide the child, right? So she's guiding him along. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself. They did this, I think, a couple of times a day was their custom, to wash in the river. At the, and the maidens walked along the river side. That's the word yod, yod, where you get hand to guide. It's like even back in verse 4 where it says that Miriam, his sister, stood afar off to wit. To wit is that same word, yod. It means to guide by hand. So she basically guided Moses right into the, into the enemy camp. And when she had opened the ark, she saw the child and said, Behold, the baby wept. She had compassion on him. She knew he was a Hebrew child because of the colors of the blankets, I'm assuming, that he was wrapped up in. And uh, she sent, she sent, then said his sister, Miriam, to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go call a nurse of the Hebrew women that may nurse the child for you? This is God. Now Miriam is going to go get the mother of the child to be the nursemaid for the child. And to me, what I see here is Moses needed the education. Moses needed to be, to be moved into Egypt to, re, to, to receive that leadership position. And God paid for it through Pharaoh. Think about it. Pharaoh had to pay for his education. Pharaoh had to pay to raise this young man up. Pretty cool. Then said the first sister unto Pharaoh's daughter, I'll go get a, a nursemaid for you. For and Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will pay you. <laughs> Grab a hold of this. Amen. God's no respecter of persons. No. When you read this, he wants your faith to arise up. Yeah. He wants you to know that he can take care of your situation. Amen. And the child grew and was brought unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. And it came to pass in those days, while Moses was grown up, he went out with his brethren, out to see his brethren, and look upon their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian in a Hebrew fighting in the field. And so, so what you see outside principle in the Word of God. What you see on the outside is a reflection of what's going on in your own life on the inside. And so Moses had this conflict. Well, let me read it to you from um, Acts chapter 7. You see, Moses was conflicted because he didn't know if he was a Hebrew or an Egyptian. And so he's got this conflict going on in the inside of him. But perhaps just like you have a conflict going on inside of you. I'll, be, I'll begin in verse 22 of Acts chapter 7. We'll be coming back to Exodus. But I just want you to look at Acts chapter 7. Verse 21. And by the way, Acts chapter 7, Stephen preached this message. It's one of the best, most concise sermons on the entire Old Testament you'll ever find. You need to read that study note. It's powerful. It tells you the whole, it tells you what went on in the book. So in verse uh, 20 says, In which time Moses was born, 
He was exceeding fair and nursed up in his father's house for three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nursed him as her own son. And Mo, but look at verse 22, because remember Moses later on is going to say, I can't speak. I, I, I'm, I'm ignorant, unlearned. But look at this. And Moses was learned in all wisdom of the Egyptians and mighty in words and deeds. Matter of fact, he was married to prince, a, 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 a princess at the time. And um, while he did exploits, you can read about it in, in the book Flavius Josephus. It's powerful stuff that he did. So, and when he was a full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit the brethren, the children of Israel. And so, and we'll pick that up here back in Exodus chapter 2. So it came in his heart. He knew he had a call on his life, but he had a conflict in his life as well. He didn't know if he was a Hebrew. He didn't know if he was an Egyptian. He, he, he had a battle going on on the inside, which projected itself onto the outside. That's why the Bible will tell us things like, you know, that, that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So anyway, he's got this conflict going on, and he sees an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew. And he, and, and he looked this way, and he looked that way, and when he saw no man, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now wait, now, in Acts chapter 7, it says that God put it in his heart that he was going to be the deliverer of the children of Israel. And so he decided he was going to do it on his own. Have any of you ever done such a thing? Have you ever just decided you were going to do it because you were called to do it? And the timing was off. But now, this is the thing that astounds me. He murdered a man and never knocked the call of God off his life. Like, doesn't that astound you? That astounds me. He murdered him. Not, he, not only did he commit the sin, but then he buried the guy. You know, he said, I got a shovel and an alibi, right? <laughs> No, no, but so many Christians disqualify themselves for far less than that. And they continue to disqualify themselves. And they know that they had a call of God on their... Look, I know so many. I'm talking from years and years of experience. So many people that had a call of God on their lives, and they messed up and missed it, and now they're in a bar downtown somewhere thinking God can't use them anymore. God wants them out of the bar and back into the kingdom. But lots of times they're afraid to come back because they're afraid the church will judge them. And in many cases, the church would, but not God. Hallelujah. So he says here, he looked this way and that way and he didn't see anybody. So he killed him and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrews were fighting together. And he said uh, unto them, hey, that did wrong. Why are, you, why are you punching one another out? And look at this. This is the prophecy right here, verse 14. Who made you to be a prince and a judge over us? God did. Chapter 3. No, let's finish chapter 2. Let's, let's just read a little bit here. Let's see, you know, so 
So in verse 15, it says, Now when Pharaoh heard about the murder, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh. It's amazing how you can be the top dog one day and the dirty dog the next day. <laughs> so, Moses, so Moses took off to Midian. So now he's not a Hebrew. He's not an Egyptian. He's a Midianite. He doesn't know what he is. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And he came to, they came to draw water from the troughs of water for their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up again and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to Ruel, the father, he said, how is it that you're back so soon today? Obviously, the girls had trouble getting the sheep watered every day because the guys ran them away. So anyway, when they came to Ruel, the father, they, how, how did you get back so early? They said, an Egyptian. An Egyptian, <laughs> Moses, Moses the Egyptian, delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water and watered our whole flock. He said unto his daughters, where is this man? He said, we left him and uh, go get him so that he can have lunch with us. And look, but look at verse 21. Now Moses is content to dwell with the Midianites. This is a guy that had a call on his life at 40 years old to deliver a nation. He didn't just have some little call. He was called to deliver a nation, and now he was content to be in Midian. And I'm sure it's because he felt like, how could God ever use me now? So he was content to be there. And she, and, and of course, Moses married Zipporah, and she bore a son, da 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 and all that. But now in chapter 3, in verse 1, now Moses kept the flock of his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he had the flock on the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Mount Horab. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, just like Paul in Acts chapter 9, by the way. Same story. Matter of fact, they're both, both going to end up in the same part of the desert hearing from God. Only it was a bright light that knocked Paul off his donkey, Saul off his donkey. But it's the same kind of a story, and it's, it's exactly the same. And so, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, a bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. I didn't know this before, but... Bushes igniting in the desert are not a rare thing. They get dry and they just self-combust. And so it wasn't something like, oh, wow, I've never seen that before. But there's something else going on here. And Moses said, I'm going to turn aside and look at this because the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, and God called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, whenever you see the name twice or like verily, verily, or Abraham, Abraham, it's covenant. It's a covenant term. Moses, Moses, calling call his covenant to him. And what he was, and, and so what Moses is now seeing, he thought that the call of God was gone from his life. But now the fire that he's seeing on the outside 
is a reflection of the fire that was still burning on the inside of him. And God was introducing him again to the call that was on his life. And it gets, it gets more powerful as it goes here. He says, draw not near, but take your shoes off from your feet because the place you stand is holy ground. And if you read, uh, if you read Ruth chapter four, you'll find out about the, the tossing of the shoe and it's all, cov- it's all covenant language. And so he's reminding Moses that even though you failed when you did it on your own, I still want to do it together with you. I still, I still want to work with you. I still have, I, I need, see, you see, God has a need to, he needs his purpose fulfilled in the earth. And if he was going to wait around until you got right, no, no, but every one of us is conflicted on the inside. That's the point. You're there trying to help somebody else and you got your own miserable deal going on in your own life. Is that not true? Am I talking to myself here? You're trying to help other people with their issues and you know that you've got your own. And sometimes you even ask yourself, who, who do I think I am trying to help somebody else when I can't even get my own stuff together? That's a lie from the devil. Whatever you got, give it. Whatever you got, give it to somebody. I mean, if it's good, if it's edifying, if it's exhortation. Don't put people down. The devil's really great at that. Make sure that when you're talking, when you're with people, you're lifting them. Not judging them, lifting them up. Lifting them up. Building them up. I thought you called yourself a Christian. How could you ever do? Imagine if God, the burning bush, and so Moses comes over to see what's going on. How do you call yourself a, how do you call yourself a believer? Uh, take you back to Egypt and let Pharaoh deal with you. You murderer. How many of you know we've had enough religion? How many of you know we're ready for the grace of God to happen, right? (laughs) He said, draw near and put off your shoes from your feet for the place that you're standing in is holy. Moreover, he said, I am the God. Look, I love this. I am the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face and was afraid to look upon God. He's the same guy that wrote Exodus 20, 20. Don't be afraid of God. But he reminds him of his purpose. See, you're going to talk about your problem. God's going to talk about your purpose. (laughs) Don't forget your purpose. You have a purpose being here. And where there's a purpose, there's a provision. Where there's a purpose, there's a problem. Where there's a crossing of the Red Sea, there's a wall of water. Same thing when they crossed the Jordan River. You thought it got easier? It doesn't get easier. You get stronger. He said, the Lord said, surely I've seen the affliction of my people. Surely, he's, he said, and this is what he would say over Halifax, Dartmouth, Metroplex area, and other, you know, and beyond. He's saying, I've seen, I've seen the affliction of my people. I've heard about the cry by the reason of the tax, taskmasters, and I know their sorrow. So that word know is intimate. And I am come down 
to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Now, I like what, what he says here. I came down to bring you up. I came down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land, a large land overflowing with milk and honey. Then, of course, Moses does his little discourse with who am I? And God says it's not about who you are, Moses. It's about I am. Tell him I am has come. Tell him I am. I am whatever you need me to be whenever you need me to be that I am. God says I'm your I am tonight. I am. I am come down to deliver you, to raise you up. I didn't come down to condemn you for murdering the Egyptian. I didn't come down to condemn you because of the conflict that you had in your own life. Didn't know if you were a Hebrew, didn't know if you were an Egyptian, didn't know if you were a Midianite, didn't know where you fit in life and thought, surely God can't use somebody as confused as I am. Came down to bring you up. Came down to bring you up. I came down tonight on the 30th day of January to bring you up out of whatever situation you're in. I came down to bring you up out of condemnation, guilt, shame, whatever you've been dealing with, so that we can just get on with the call that's on your life. There's conflict. My word says that you're healed by my stripes, but your body says something else, but your doctor says something else. But I'm telling you, I'm meek. You come and learn of me, I'm meek. I know how to stand in the middle between those two extremes. I don't understand why, but I know who. I don't always figure things out on my own, but I understand that you're with me and I trust you. And some of the songs we sang tonight, God is so awesome. He always looks at you with the same look. I love you. I want to spend some time with you. I want to hang out with you. I'm not looking to take the mode out of your eye came to love you. Oh, I hated sin. I put it all on my son so that I wouldn't have to look at it in you. Himself bore your sickness, carried your pain. The chastisement of your peace was what? Laid upon him. So that you, if, if your peace, the chastisement of your peace was laid upon him, then righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost is all you got. If everything else was laid upon him, all you've got is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You don't have anything else. You don't have any other stuff. You're right with God. You have peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Live above the fray. Don't get caught up in the day-to-day mundane junk. What the liberal government's doing, what this is going on and that's going on, doesn't matter. 
God's got it. Hallelujah. Well, I'm done. Praise the Lord. But if you need prayer for anything, I'd like to pray with you. I don't think I got where I was going, but but I saw the wall. Put yourself in these Bible stories. Praise the worship people. Put yourself there. Don't read that pretty story about these guys going out to, to face the enemy with their musical instruments. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. Hey, Caleb, grab the guitar, man. Make it acoustic because there's no power out there. Oh, yeah, and the hell's angels are coming to kill you, and this is what I want you to do. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Does that make sense to anybody? No, but we try to figure it out. How's God going to do this and God going to do that? God doesn't. God really, we get allowed to participate with him. But I remember one time, I just finished with this story, when I lived on Wildwood Boulevard, what was the little guy's name next door? Rossi, little Rossi. Anyway, the father was out mowing the lawn one day, and I was watching him. I was up on a letter painting the side of the house. And Rossi, and, and the father was out mowing the lawn, and there came Rossi with his little plastic lawnmower <laughs> and the diaper full of, that he was pulling up as he went. And I heard the Lord say, that's you helping me. I said, Lord, do you mean I'm full of crap? No, no. <laughs> no, he lets us participate because he loves us. But if you ever think it's going to be you doing it. I was reading another story about Lester Summerall. Lester Summerall, by the way, he made national news, international news in the Philippines in Manila because there was a demon-possessed woman there that they locked up in jail all the time. And when they would take her out, she'd have bite marks all over her body. I mean, in places where you couldn't bite yourself. Amen. She was so full of devils. And he went in there and cast the devil out of her, made big headlines all over the world. Wow. And uh, anyway, one day he was, uh, one night he was asleep. And when you're dealing with the devil on that level, he may come to visit you. And so the devil himself came into Lester's bed and shook the bed, and Lester bounced out onto the floor. He got up on the floor, and he said, put it back in Jesus' name. And the bed went back over where it was. So it might not be you doing it, but you're hooked up to a serious power source. You're the policeman in the uniform. You don't have the... You don't have the power to stop that 18-wheeler, but you have the authority. You, you got the gun and the badge and, the, and, and everybody backing you up. And that's who you are in Christ. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.